All right, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. <clears throat> That's where we're going to start this morning. Um, going to kind of look at a, a general look at this uh, subject and then kind of turn it a bit more specific in how it pertains to the Christian life. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. This can be an easily misunderstood passage, um, this topic, and so it's 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 good that we, we look at it and understand it rightly, but also, more importantly, that we experience the reality of it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. So, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go too much in depth to this. We, we know it's not talking about physical violence. Um, there's never any warrant uh, anywhere in the New Testament where we get the idea of the, the kingdom expanding by any kind of physical violence. Um, yet, it's not talking about as it's often interpreted, and I've listened to some messages this week where I was hearing being misinterpreted. It's not talking about like Islamic jihad, you know, extreme violent people from the outside attacking Christians. So it's not talking about that either. Um, that's really wrong, and it's taking it totally out of context. It's talking about the kind of person that every Christian is a violent kind of person, everyone who enters the kingdom. And so what, what is it talking about? It's important that we understand what that means. It's a, it's a violence that's born not out of strength or a, a natural disposition towards being a violent, strong-willed sort of person, it's a violence that's born out of weakness, out of desperation. There's, um, I like the phrase, um, Spurgeon uses the phrase earnest, someone who's earnest a lot. I like the idea of uh, intense earnestness. Um, you're relentless. Um, you've been awakened. And the more I've, I've been meditating on this subject for quite a few weeks now, the more that I think about what it is to be a violent person in seeking the kingdom, the more I'm seeing that... Um, it has to do with someone who's been just awakened to reality. Yeah. It's kind of like Pilgrim, where he was in the city of destruction. Everything's, I mean, everything seemed to be going fine until he was awakened to the reality of the wrath to come. And once he was awakened to that, he started acting in a way that made him seem very strange yeah. to those around him. He became a violent sort of person. I mean, if we knew a tornado was coming towards town, if you knew and nobody else did, you would be acting very differently fleeing for shelter than everybody else is acting if they didn't believe that. So it's a violence that's born out of zeal um, to know God and urgency. It's a feeling of need um, until, you, until you find an answer. And that's another thing about this sort of person is that they will not stop. They will not stop until they are safe, until they have an answer, until they've met with God. So this is how it, kind of how it pertains to a person who's not a Christian, who becomes a Christian. So this is entrance into the kingdom. Um, but the thing that uh, I mostly want to look at this morning is uh, how this violence for the kingdom, this pursuit of Christ in a violent way, in a relentless, intense way, how it continues into the Christian life. Because it's an area of, of real felt need that I've, I've noticed is... Um, I experienced incredible 
incredible violence and anxiety that led me to become a Christian. Um, and that was just under six years ago. But since then, there has not been that, the maintaining of that same level of need for God, desperate need for God. And, and I think that there's enough of the people of God that can relate to that to where maybe this can be an encouragement to you. And what is, what's the motive and what's the way that we can maintain the level of need for God that, um, that we ought to have? So for the Christian, Spurgeon said this, um, the Christian is now violently in love with Christ. It's a different kind of violence now. Now you're not just fleeing from the wrath to come. You've now found in that shelter someone that's worthy of all of your life, all of your love. You've found someone that's infinitely beautiful and lovely in Christ. First Peter 1.8 says that we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I mean, if you, that's violent kind of language. I mean, it's like you can't even, you love Christ so much, you can't even express it in words. This is true in the heart of the Christian. Now, if you're lost, this is, this is going to sound very strange to you. But the Christian knows you, you love Christ more than anything. You'd be willing to lay down your life. And I remember the difference. You know, when God brought me to himself, uh, the violence that was there, I mean, I was basically at a place where it was God, you, I mean, there was no peace, there was no rest, and I knew I was in great danger, and it was, God, you need to either save me or kill me, or I'm going to kill myself. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no other alternative. You know, I need to know you. I need to have peace. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's real, at least on some level. And, you know, not everybody has the exact same experience, but it's on some level you can relate to that if you're a Christian, that I, you're not going to stop until you know God. I mean, that's the need that's there. Well, as a Christian, um, and, and I think this violence pertains to every area of the Christian life. When it comes to prayer, you know, Paul called on the believers to agonize in prayer for him. Um, in uh, Romans fifteen thirty, he wished himself accursed for the sake of his brethren Israel. I mean, that's 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 a violent kind of burden for the lost. It's not just that I'm praying for him. It's like I wish I was cut off. He's not speaking like it's not a hypothetical. He's not just bringing up a hypothetical impossibility to, you know, to kind of. He's he's making a point that his love for them is so intense, um, and it, it's a, it's a violent thing. Um, Jesus said, zeal for your house will consume me. Well, we can't literally be consumed, but again, he's using language. Your, your desire to see God glorified um, literally consumes you. Is that a reality? Is that something that you're experiencing now? Um, the main thing I wanted us to look at, though, is violence in the area of maintaining our close communion with Christ and how that relates to putting sin to death in our lives. So the relationship between the two. Because it wasn't really until I heard uh, Vess's message, and I'd encourage anyone who didn't hear him sharing uh, from Song of Solomon a few weeks ago, that it just really helped me to understand the, the connection between the two, um, and that they shouldn't be separated. I kind of always saw putting sin to death as being this really foreign, separate thing, and communion with Christ, and not, not connecting the two, that the one flows out of the other. Um, you can be a lost person and have a very... You know, I'm going to get rid of sin. I'm going to put sin to death. You can, you can be lost and like that, but you can't have a violent love for Christ and be lost. And that should be the motive for our putting sin to death is to keep that close communion. So just a couple passages that show that. Um, 
Colossians chapter 3, and then we're going to turn to Song of Solomon. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, and he, he continues on. But just, this is going to be a very broad overview, um, so I'm not going to get into all the things that are in this passage, but the main thing is, again, it's reality. This, this violence is born out of, it's just seeing things the way they really are. If you're a Christian and you're walking in sin, that's not who you really are. If you're a Christian and your heart's grown lukewarm or cold towards God, that's not who you really are. This is who we really are. If we're Christians, we are, our lives are hidden with Christ in God, and Christ is our treasure above all things. And so if we can see things the way they really are, set our affections on heavenly things, the natural outcome of that is, of course, close communion with God, which is what it is to be a Christian, um, but then it's putting to death sin, everything that might, everything that might hinder your, your relationship with Christ and, and being close to him. Let's turn to uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 3. I just wanted to compare two different passages here. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail about why I'm taking Song of Solomon as being a reference to Christ's love for the church. Um, there's some that don't like to read Song of Solomon that way. Um, but I would say we know that Christ is the bride and, or no, we know that Christ is the bridegroom and we're the bride and uh, everything is about Christ in the word. So I think that's enough to say this is talking about Christ and his love for his bride. And, uh, let's look at Song of Solomon chapter three, starting in verse one and look at, look at this bride's desire to be with her beloved. It says, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Um, she, nothing's going to get in the way of her getting to her beloved. And that's the way it is, and that's the way it should be for the Christian between us and Christ. Nothing's going to get in the way of our close communion, our walk with him. Let's compare that with Song of Solomon chapter 5, verse 2, starting in verse 2. It's kind of a similar scenario. So again, it's, it's nighttime. 
I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, and my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How can I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him that I am sick with love. So what, what happened? What happened in her heart when you compare where she was at in chapter 3, where, there, I mean, she wanted to be with her beloved. She wanted to be, and there was nothing that was going to stop her from being near to him. What happened between there and chapter 5 where he, I mean, it's not her seeking after him. Now it's he's seeking after her. And as Vess shared a few weeks ago, Christ is always, always pursuing us. He is always pursuing his people constantly. And whether it be through trials or difficulties and the things that typically we're fighting against, those might be the very things God is using to, to draw us to himself because he, he longs for us, his heart's desire is to be near to us. And why would we allow anything to get in the way of that close communion with him? Um, it's his love. It's his, it's his great love. But he comes to her and he's saying these, these wonderful things. He's calling out to her and, and her thoughts are not on him. Her thoughts are on, oh, I'm tired. You know, I, I put off my garment. How, how could I put it on? I bathe my feet. It, there's effort. I, I don't want to put any effort in. There's something wrong. There's something that's happened in her heart where she doesn't have that same longing. I mean, when you're, when you're in love, uh, you're not thinking about the obstacles. Like, oh, what an effort. You know, I have to call her again. You know, <laughs> that's not what you're thinking. It's like, I get to. You, you want to. You long to speak with your beloved. And so something has happened here in her heart um, but the thing is, is you might look at this as kind of like a she's left her first love, kind of like the Ephesian church. There's still a sensitivity there. Um, some of us, um, and I know I've gotten to the place, it's, it's beyond even where she's at. Um, and that's where it can be, become dangerous because she, was quick to re- she wasn't quick enough to respond to where she could be with him right away because he did. He had, he had turned and gone. Um, he, he didn't wait. He came to her and she didn't respond. And so he left. Now, it's not, like he, it's not like some childish throwing a temper and he left. It's, uh, you know, his, his love for us is so great that when we don't respond quickly, that love can be hurt. You know, God, God loves us, and he can be offended when we don't respond quickly. He can. And in the same way, I, you know, um, and Paul Washer talked about this. There's some really glorious messages that he shared about these, these verses, he said, I don't have to commit adultery for my wife to be grieved. All I have to do is just have a little bit of indifference or a lack of, lack of noticing, lack of, lack of interest. 
Um, that's all that I need to do. And it, we should look at it with Christ that way. Um, just a little bit of lack of interest in seeking him, in responding to him when he's calling us. You know, do you remember the times, you know, when you were first saved? And it didn't matter if it was two in the morning and, and you woke up and God was saying, seek me. I mean, it didn't matter. Well, I need, I need sleep. I got to get up for work in the morning. It, it didn't matter as much. You just wanted to be with him. And, uh, and you wouldn't let anything get in the way. And so it's just, just a reminder of, of his, I mean, he is seeking us. His love for us is so great. And uh, it is worth get, you know, getting anything out of the way that might be hindering us from being close to him. Um, there was a lot of really good quotes in, uh, in this book, but I, I, just for the sake of time, narrowed it down to one. This is The Life of God and the Soul of Man by Henry Skugel. He says here, um, But when we come once to conceive aright of those pure and spiritual pleasures, when the happiness we propose to ourselves is from the sight and love and enjoyment of God, and our minds are filled with the hopes and forethoughts of that blessed estate, oh, how mean and contemptible will all things here below appear in our eyes. With what disdain shall we reject the gross and muddy pleasures that would deprive us of those celestial enjoyments or any way unfit and indispose us for them? Just that last part. Just want to repeat that again. It's even just things that make us unfit to be close to him. I mean, I'm not talking obvious sins. That, that's obvious. Of course, any sin's going to separate us from God. But anything that might make us indisposed to be with him. He says, with what disdain shall we reject the gross and muddy pleasures that would deprive us of those celestial enjoyments or in any way unfit and indispose us for them? So it's a battle. But for the Christian, it's not like a burdensome, well, I guess I better seek. It's what you desire. You want to be with Christ. You want to be close to him. Um, and, and why would we want to make excuses to not seek after him and to be close to him? Um, so out of this close communion, this love towards Christ and being near to him automatically flows and a violent attitude towards anything that would get in the way of that relationship, any kind of sin. Um, are you more overwhelmed by the trials you're facing than the remaining sins in your life? This was something that really challenged me. I was listening to a message of John MacArthur's, and he was quoting um, he was quoting one of the Scottish Covenanters who was giving what he thought was his final sermon to his church. And he gave them this warning, and it just really stood out. He says, there is greater evil in the least sin than in the greatest of calamities. You know, it, the, the worst struggle that you might be going through, the worst trial, um, is nothing compared to just the least sin that's, in, that's still in our lives that separates us from communion, closer communion with Christ. You know, have, have, we been, have you been busy putting sin to death in your life? And if not... You know, the call is return to, return to Jesus because he's pursuing you. It's not about his heart having cooled towards you. It's our hearts turning cool towards him and, and returning to him. To not, not have the cares of this life choking out that, that close, close walk with Christ um, that, that the word, you know, cautions us about. Um, a message of, uh, of Charles is on this. Um, that uh, was put on I'll Be Honest here recently. 
and he had uh, had this thought in there. He says um, that, you know, what would be different in your life today if God were as real as he ought to be? What would be different? You know, is there anything that would be, and really, it's not, it's not a call to over-self-examine ourselves, because um, in the end, there's, just, there's endless sin that we could find. But it's a call to just see, is you know, anything that we know of that's there, and asking the Holy Spirit, is there anything that's hindering? Is there anything that's keeping me from having the kind of love for Christ that I had at first? You know? and, uh, and making sure that that stays fresh, that that stays alive and real. You know, that there's nothing that comes between you and Christ. So just a couple, couple of final thoughts here. Um, if you turn to back to Song of Solomon, um, in this uh, in this bride's life, for her to find the motivation to seek him again, she just needed to remember what he was like. So she says to these daughters of Jerusalem, "If you find my beloved, tell him that I am sick with love." And they say to her. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? And then she she meditates, she thinks about who he is, and this is what she comes out with. And again, I mean, if, if you don't see this as violent language, I don't know what is. Um, her response is she's, she's thinking about Christ, she's thinking about his beauty, um, and uh, she says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like spices or beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. And so after they hear her response, it's like, wow, you know, where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has he, your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? So her response um, causes them to see, okay, wow, th- this, is, this is an incredible person that you're describing. And uh, that's the way it should be in, as we share about what Christ has done for us. It's not just about, you know, just about a bunch of spiritual laws and, you know, and, and I mean, it's about a relationship. It's about knowing a person and showing people the glorious person of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't really understand a lot of what she's saying here. I mean, to be honest, um, but one thing you can clearly see is her heart is wildly in love with her beloved. And that's the way it ought to be for every Christian. And then that's what, that's what God, and God will enable us um, to walk in that if we, if we seek him. So just a couple more things here. Um, Skugel also says that, it's impossible. Now, if we if we can tend to we can be discouraged when we hear things like this, um, and that's not the purpose. The purpose is not to be discouraged. The purpose is to remember who Christ is, remember what He has said to us, and what He has done for us, and then to return to Him and seek Him with all of our hearts, and to resolve to do so. Um, Skugel says it, it's impossible for Him to deny Himself to a soul that is wholly devoted to Him. Um, God won't deny us. 
So if you're here and you're walking near to Christ and putting sin to death, and this is a a reality in your life, the encouragement is to press on um, because there are more glories to be found in Christ than you can ever imagine. And it will be an endless, endless discovery of more things in the person of Christ. If you're like the bride in in Song of Solomon chapter 5 and your heart is cooled some, um, for whatever reason, whatever reason, it's between you and the Lord. You know, if your heart is cooled towards him for whatever reason, um, the call is to remember him, to return to him, um, and, and respond more quickly when he calls um, and when he comes. If you've gone beyond that point and, and you're more in the area of where the Laodiceans were, where you've become very lukewarm, um, your walk with Christ is very inconsistent, um, and you know almost nothing of that close, real communion with Christ, um, the call is to be, be zealous and repent. Um, like Christ said there to the Laodiceans, be zealous and repent. Um, and, and know that um, Christ is, is relentlessly seeking us the whole time, and he is more than willing to receive us. Um, if you're here and you cannot relate to any of these things, if none of these things make sense to you, um, and the talk of violence and all that just seems really strange, it, it may be a really dangerous sign that you're lost, that you know nothing of, of the reality of Christ. You know, Spurgeon talked about those who know Christ and are violently in love with him are like bright, shining stars, um, whereas those who, are, those who are lukewarm and have maybe just enough, uh, just enough respectability um, to make them fit in, you know, fit in with the, the, the people of God as, as for many years I was able to, to fit in, but there was no reality. There was no real love for Christ. You have enough religion to make you respectable, but not enough to make you earnest. Um, and it's, it's the need for there to, that, that there be some earnestness there. Um, and that is a reality um, in, in the life of, of the true Christian. And, uh, and so this is a call um, if, if you don't know any of these things, to seek the Lord while he may be found, to repent and believe. Because your danger, if you're here and you're not a Christian and none of this makes sense to you, your danger is far greater than anything I can describe. And, and your helplessness in doing anything to save yourself is, um, you can't do anything. But call, call on the name of the Lord. And... Uh, and so that's the, that's the encouragement if these things seem strange to you, is repent and believe the gospel, believe on Christ. And in, in that shelter from, from the coming wrath, you'll, actually, you'll find not just shelter, but you'll find a, a person that, that uh, will fill you with joy in, inexpressible and full of glory. Um, and, uh, and you'll basically get to the place. It's interesting if you follow in Song of Solomon, if you get to the point of uh, chapter 7, where she's, uh, she has returned to him, Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 10, she says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. It's almost like she's reached the point now where she sees that she's his, and she's seeing his desire for her, and she's just consumed by that. I mean, just her eyes are on that. So think about, you know, and and... Believer, if, if, if you are Christ, just think about the things that he has said. 
you know, you have made my heart beat faster, my darling, my sister, my bride. Um, how pleasant you are with all your delights. How beautiful is your love to me. You know, my, my love is beautiful to God. That is, that is incredible. I mean, have you, have you meditated on that? You know, he, you know the, the, this is the bridegroom. He says to the bride, turn your eyes away from me, for they overwhelm me. When we look to Christ with hearts of love, he says, turn your eyes away. I, I, it, it overwhelms me. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and it's, it's real. It's true. Uh, and if, if we have spiritual eyes to see it, and if we believe God's word, um, it's true. If you're here and you're a Christian, you need no more motivation than that, that Christ loves you that way, um, to return to him and, and, and resolve to walk close to him. And, and he is more than, than willing and able to help in that. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you for what he accomplished and did for us on the cross. And uh, Father, for the beauty and the wonder um, of, it, of what it is to, to know him, to be near to him. Just think of, uh, think of what it was to be, to be lost and dead in sins and separate from you and how different that is now. I just pray, Father, that you would help your people, that you would speak to us in some way um, through these words, uh, but that you would cause these things to be real. Uh, we need your Holy Spirit um, to make these things alive in our hearts. We need wisdom to know um, if there's anything that hinders us from knowing you more, from being closer to you. Um, Father, please show us. Um, please show us if there's anything that we, we don't see now um, because we want to be near to you. We want to draw close to you. We want to know Christ more. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these things that are, are beyond our understanding. I think that's, that's why, Father, we, we need you to strengthen us by your spirit in the inner man um, so that we can know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. We cannot, we cannot comprehend a love like this in our own strength. So, Lord, we need supernatural strengthening just to be able to take it in, even just a small amount. So, Lord, please help us. Please bless our time of fellowship, and we give you thanks for, for who you are and for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.